0: welcome to this edition of at the mic i'm your host keith Malinak. once again asking you to please continue to keep dave and faith matthews from american pride roasters coffee on your prayers they're still rebuilding there following the devastating tornado that took everything from them in march uh, when they get things going again back on their feet uh, over at aprcoffee.com uh, we will definitely let you know until then Do continue to keep Dave, Faith, and APR Coffee in your prayers. Thank you. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. My friend Kay Smythe sits down with us this week on At The Mic. Kay was born and raised across the pond in Wales, where she had a unique childhood before heading to America as an adult. After a dramatic stint in Los Angeles, she made her way to North Carolina, where she resides today, trying to save her new country that she loves so dearly. Today, we sit down with Kay Smythe for this edition of At The Mic. Kay, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good, Keith. I'm good. I'm happy to be here. It's been a busy day, but I'm loving it. How are you doing? Ah, sorry. One of my cats just jumped on my lap.
0: Oh, no. Oh, no. So how... So hold on, here we go, between your cats jumping all over you here during this conversation and the fact that before we began recording, my earbuds dropped out, my hardwire connection uh, earbuds dropped out, this is going to be, uh, there, there are a lot of landmines uh, potentially uh, for this conversation, so we're going to do our best <laughs> to make this work, oh no, So how many cats do you have by the way?
1: I have, I have three Siamese cats. I, I did not plan to have three (laughs) Siamese cats, but my family only has Siamese cats as it like turns out. Like we've only ever for like three generations of the Smythe family only ever had Siamese cats and I'm just carrying on that tradition. And they're great, but I have- You gotta stop. Yeah.
0: Yeah, don't let people know that that you collect Siamese cats and maybe people will stop giving them to you as gifts. Oh my
1: gosh, nothing would make, ow, sorry. One of them just literally clawed me and slapped me across the face with her tail. She's the worst one, but she's also the cuddliest. Anyone with cats, Uh I feel like knows that, like I have a dog as well, but I feel like if you have (laughs) cats, you know they have like these incredibly persistent detailed personalities. Where you love them, but in a split second, they will do something that not only hurts you, like physically, but like really hurts your feelings. And they're like not great (laughs) house guests. You know, they're like, oh, I'm going to rub on you. I'm going to rub on you. And I'm going to bite you. They're just the absolute worst. Do you have pets?
0: Two dogs. uh, There's a bird and there's a rabbit. Uh, Hmm. So, uh, but we had a high watermark of four cats as well. Um, So we had you beat by one cat. But I imagine because it, it's just you right it's just you the three cats and the dog and so they seriously outnumber you
1: oh yeah like if i you know like choke to death or like just drop dead in my apartment <laughs> these guys will eat me before anyone realizes that i've died <laughs> it's gonna be oh, no. i think mean, like, a worse ways to go like i really can um but yeah <sighs> apparently as well i like one of my friends told me that when cats eat dead bodies they start with the Face? And I was like, "Oh, that's so dark." Oh, <laughs> it's so oh dark. hide the kids! I know. Oh no, I know. that is uh, <laughs> okay.
0: Well, you keep us up to date on the um, claw count. Uh, we're up to uh, how many? We got one or two uh, so far. Uh, um, I'll keep,
1: yeah, I'll keep a little tally. on that.
0: <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you, you were born in South Wales. Yes. Okay. Now, I try to figure this out. Is Wales a country? Or is it a part of Great Britain or is it a little bit of both? Good grief. I can't figure it out.
1: Okay. So I, you do not beat yourself up over this. The geography of Britain (laughs) is a nightmare and I have a geography degree and like, I still get like stressed (laughs) Ah. out trying to think about it. So Wales, Wales is its own country. We have our own language. We have our own government, but we are still part of Great Britain and like the British Isles or the UK However, you want to sort of refer to it, it has like too many names. So the UK is both geographically and socially, um, I guess, an archipelago. So it's it's a collection of four different countries um, across a sort of stratified like landmass. There's like lots of little islands. So there's Wales, Scotland, England, and Northern Ireland. And then there's all these like other very, very small jurisdictions that aren't technically their own country. So it's, like places like Guernsey, okay. the Isle of Wight. And then Wales is obviously the best one. You know, like it, it, the Welsh language and Wales as a nation, like far outdates England, which is weird because England technically in many ways tries at least to a certain extent to rule us, but Wales and sort of like <laughs> our heritage, our culture, our language has been around for like hundreds of thousands of years. Whereas the like England is more of an amalgamation of like everyone that's ever invaded. Whereas like anyone who's ever tried to invade <laughs> Wales, is like you can assimilate or we will eat you. Like it's one or the other. Uh-huh. Like we can be chill. And they will
0: start with the face. Yeah. And we we'll
1: with the face. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, hold on a second. Hold on, hold on. There's so much here that uh, <laughs> that I need to unpack, I think. You just mentioned in there you have a major in geography, all right? Mm-hmm. Is that... Because what you do is very unique, and it's, it has nothing to do, it seems, on the surface anyway, to do with your geography degree. So I'm having a tough time figuring out where to go. Do we start with... What you do, where people can find you, and then and then after you establish that, then let's go back to Wales and 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 explore your childhood and how you ended up with a geography degree. Okay.
1: Okay. Sure. Sure.
0: All right. So where can people find you right now? Because I met you through a mutual friend of ours, Ian Patterson, mm. who's going to be on a future episode of this podcast at the mic, and 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 so you two are are just great people. And he tells me how you guys escaped, I think, Los Angeles about the same time, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Ian, <laughs> so, like, I wouldn't have left L.A. if it weren't for Ian. Like, Ian Ian started this whole ball rolling. Like, I don't know what I would do without mm-hmm. that man. Um, he is a... Him, his wife, you know, they have a new baby, like just salt of the earth, beautiful people. He introduced yeah. me to this guy, Jeremiah Wilbur, who runs a group called the War Party Movement, who rescue women, children from um, abuse, amongst other things. They do a lot of rehabilitation work as well. Um, and so yeah. Ian introduced me to Jeremiah. Jeremiah and I uh, became very close friends as well. And then I was actually the first rescue, but it kind of like all roads really lead back to Ian.
0: And, and that's just kind of a sneak peek of my conversation with Ian, because he is truly a great American hero. And I mean that from um, what you just mentioned, his efforts there and also with Afghanistan and the Operation Pineapple. Mm. Um, I, anyway, the, the guy is, like you said, salt of the earth. And, and it was so ironic that he and I realized, wait a minute, we are literally like 20 miles from each other. We had no idea. Um, But anyhow, explain to us what it is that you do right now. Because I see you everywhere. I mean, you're everywhere. Ubiquitous, if you will. And you have a lot of great information on a lot of stuff. How did you get involved with places? Well, I'm just, gonna let you, I'm just gonna let you tell us all the places that you are, what you do, what you talk about, where your expertise is, because it just seems like you've come a long way from a geography degree.
1: <laughs> um, wow, yeah, that's, I mean, thank you for your kind words, uh, firstly. Um, so I guess blanket term, I just refer to myself as a writer. And um, I met like, you know, there are so many, you know, there are millions of writers out there in the world And uh, to be able to live and work in the United States, uh, I really had to kind of develop a specialism within the world of writing that no one else does, and so I'll like I'll get into sort of like my degree and all that kind of stuff uh, later, earlier, later. See, I'm such a good writer. Um,
0: <laughs> but uh,
1: basically, right now you can find me. So I'm with Joe Pags, Joe Pag Show on mm-hmm. uh, Mondays. I do sort of uh, K's cray news of the week or like cray news with K, like whatever the heck we're calling it. <laughs> know.
0: You know, it's just the I crazy took you off stuff forever to try do. to figure out what to call it.
1: I <laughs> know uh, we were like going back and forth, and I was just like, dude, I don't even like write the own, like my. My own headlines because I just don't know how to do that. Like I do like block quotes, like big words in order. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> basically, um, yeah, Mondays I do with Joe and then every now and again, he has this incredible newsreader, uh, Carrie. And she, every now and again, if she's like taking my off, I'll come on. I'll like, again, be sort of like a talking head. I'll find new stories. And then as well as that, I work with the Daily Caller, who are just, I think, a brilliant outlet. So much fun to work with. Uh, just a real sort of like, it's like what the Rolling Stone was back in the day. Um, but for, you know, sort of like slightly more conservative leaning, but still like very rock and roll. And I just, again, like I sort of have my, the freedom to write about and talk about whatever I want to write and talk about with them. Uh, I also do some work with the National Pulse. I work for Raheem Kassam. And then there's like a couple of other people who kind of like bleed into the ownership there who are just, again, like, you, like you'll know all of these people through like social media, through television. And to be quite honest with you, Keith, I have no idea how I ended up here. I mean, I can (laughs) like go back down the line, but I actually came to the United States as like a very sort of like leftist socialist person, woman, and then I moved to California and I was like, wow, I am, I do not agree with like any of what these guys are saying from that kind of like political side of the aisle. And I'm also seeing the sort of short and long-term consequences of that kind of socialist rhetoric. And I can see where they're just getting stuff really wrong. And I found it to be like a very uh, anti-American sentiment. Like I found California in general, the sort of liberal policies there to be very anti-American. And I was like, I didn't leave the UK to come and live amongst like all the same problems that I just left and have less freedom. I moved to America for this idea of freedom. And so pretty much everyone that I work with right now I think really embodies that like core ideology of American culture that we should all be proud of. Like, I guess a couple of months ago or a month ago, I wrote a piece on uh, CNN, for example, Um, but sort of all the naughtiness that was going on at CNN and I got contacted by Newsmax to go on and say like, hey, we read this article, we'd love for you to come on and talk about it. And so like, I just don't say no to stuff. Like if someone wants to have a conversation, (laughs) I'll have it. Um, I said a lot of stuff that really didn't make it into the piece that I wrote. And so I'm sort of in this like weird, (laughs) like uh, space. So geography, I think a lot of people think that geography is like maps and like, you know, ocean stuff. And it is, it's geography is everything. And that's why I I mean, I got a a
0: minor in geography. It seems like that's what we learned, unless the University of Nebraska jobbed me what What was your geography <laughs> degree like
1: <laughs> well there's like this sort of running joke with geography like geography students that if you go into a geography degree as a physical geographer you'll graduate as a human geographer and vice versa i went in very much like i'm going to study volcanoes and i'm going to go work for FEMA, and i'm going to do disaster relief and i was like very gung-ho about that kind of stuff and i'd always written like i right. was just always like interested in putting words in order and you know, sharing my perspective from the data that I had access to. And then it turns out they're terrible at math. Like I am the worst mathematician in the world. And so <laughs> join the club. Oh my God. It's the and <laughs> like, you know, I find that to be like kind of a trend with people who work in media. Like we're not data, like data driven people <laughs> tend to um, you know, go and work for like technology companies, things like that. And I yeah. uh So I went into my degree being like all gung-ho about like volcanoes and things like that. And then ended up just falling in love with like human geography. So it's like how people interact with the planet, how people interact with one another, how cultures form. So it's everything from like, you know, sort of the anthropological like evolution of society to, you know, like even like, okay, so my, my specialization then I guess is using qualitative data to do uh trend forecasting and that's all i really write about mm-hmm. like i spin it as sort of like a more article like small like bits of di- you know digestible information on like current events but really it's just like right let me look at the qualitative data that i have available let me analyze it with like past human trends and let's kind of like package this all up to tell the story in a way that maybe gives people not necessarily like information that they couldn't get elsewhere but get information that will allow them to see how this is unfolded and to see how a
0: different perspective yeah right a different perspective
1: yeah and it's okay so sorry that's my soliloquy thank you right <laughs>
0: no no that's good that's good so i'm glad you mentioned your writing because that is before you started making appearances everywhere you are doing prolific writing. And my question for you is, what percentage of your work would you say actually has your name attached to it? And what percentage of it has someone else's name attached to it? But you were the one behind the scenes pulling all this stuff together.
1: Oh my gosh, that is such a good question. Yeah, I didn't even like mention the private sector stuff. Um, Gosh, I would say like probably less than 20% of the work... That I've ever mm-hmm. done has my own name attached to it. I've ghost written for right. years mm-hmm. for a bunch of different sectors. I do because, he- like, again, writing is just like nonfiction writing is just research, and so I've worked with like loads of mm-hmm. like tech companies, cannabis companies. Oh my gosh, like even like media companies on like the back end. And it's like, oh, you need a problem solved or a question answered. I like, I will find that information and I will do that. Do you need deep investigative information and have it written up in a way that you can translate it easily to, you know, maybe an audience that doesn't necessarily, you know, have the same like background information. Like I got you and I love doing that stuff. <laughs> I love doing that stuff. Like I really do. Okay. I got drag kicking and screaming back into journalism, literally. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, So
0: so how many hours a day would you say that you spend writing? Minimum. For for whoever.
1: Minimum eight. That's my absolute minimum. I do like Monday to Friday. Weekends, Mm -hmm. I try to take it a little bit easier. But yeah. Yeah. Like writing is also rewriting. So it doesn't matter what I write. I'm going to have to edit it at some point. So hmm. it's just, and I have like a book project that I'm working on right now on long haul COVID and like my agent. I'm seriously, You, know, was...
0: you stay incredibly busy. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you grew up though in a camper van, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> God, you did your research. Um, yeah, my parents were. Um... I'm
0: just reading the email you sent.
1: Oh, that. really? God, I don't <laughs> even remember sending that. Geez, see, just words in order, and I'm like, did I really write that? Um, yeah, like my parents (laughs) bought our first camper van in like 1990, I want to say like six, maybe 95, might've been a bit later. And like, yeah, every summer we would just like take off and just follow the sun around like France. It sounds like really luxurious and like frilly, but it's just like, I didn't live where I live now in North Carolina. It's the first time I've ever lived somewhere where there isn't sand in everything. Like everywhere (laughs) I've ever lived, there has just been sand everywhere um but yeah right camper van like very bohemian very chill like my mother can cook like a freaking six-course meal on a tiny little like coal-powered barbecue and it's like the best meal you'll ever have so you know i had i will say i had like a very i had a great childhood i love the van i think if i had my driver's license out here i would probably (laughs) still be living in a van it was
0: uh here's what i (laughs) I, so i looked this up you know because uh like you, I like research. I like to look things up, you know. And um, I'm looking to see right now that uh, Wales is similar in size to the U.S. state of Rhode Island. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> there's not a lot of ground to cover. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm not. I, I'm just like, like, if you were living your life in the back of a camper van, driving around Rhode Island, did you not just basically? make a big circle every day and get back to where you started in the morning? I don't know. Well, like, we, had I, a, I we have,
1: like, a home. Like, my parents, like, still live in the family home that, uh, I grew up in. They bought it before. Oh, my bad. Yeah. So, no. I
0: should stop being so literal. No. You didn't exactly just life on the road. I see now. It was just I'm silence, sorry. You were just kind of, uh, you know, like, painting a picture yeah. for me, and I, I, I read too deep. I'm sorry. No, okay. no, no, not my at bad. all. My bad. That makes sense. My parents sense. just hate okay. when
1: I talk about them. So, you know. No, we used to go to France, like France <laughs> is like spitting distance from Wales. Like, you can get to France. Mm. Like, if you leave like first thing in the morning, you'll be like halfway down France by like the night. Um, and it takes like wow. half an hour to get there on the Channel Tunnel. And I hate boats. Oh, uh, well, I don't hate boats. I don't like cruise liners. Like, I always get like, do you get seasick? Mm-hmm. Have you ever been seasick?
0: Yeah, not really. No, I'm I'm good with that.
1: Okay, it is the worst in my opinion. Like I've I've gotten food poisoning before and I'd rather have food poisoning again than go through seasickness. Like it is mm. horrendous. But um yeah, so no, like I mean, you know, we and I found this out actually on one of the campervan trips down to I think we we're going to Spain. We had to go through the Bay of Biscay, which has like eight to twelve foot swells when it's like a calm day. And me and my mom were just like, "No, this is not. This is not going to work for us again. Let's just take <laughs> the extra week and drive it." Yeah. But yeah, campervan, campervan living is fun. It's very cool. Do you camp? Okay. Do you camp? Mm. Ish.
0: Ish. Mmm. Hmm. I wanna try glamping. Oh
1: gosh.
0: I wanna I wanna so I wanna bushy. be like in the middle of nowhere under the stars. But uh, you know, I wanna make sure that it's uh nice, right? I don't wanna be like actually under under the stars, okay? Wait. Because there's you- other things that are under under the stars that could be crawling all over you. Oh my I wanna be gosh. inside a nice I'll go outside. I just would rather be conscious when i'm outside all right
1: okay me and and ian are gonna have to change this because that's not that's i mean i slept outside when i was driving from (laughs) california to north carolina we slept in the Mm -hmm. bed of a truck um a couple of nights and i used to sleep but when i lived in joshua tree i would sleep outside i hate sleeping indoors i sleep way better outside than i do inside not like outside like in a tent like, outside, like, there's nothing else. I'm just on a bed outside.
0: <laughs> I would sleep in the, I would absolutely sleep in the bed of a truck. I'm not going to sleep on the ground ground.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I know. you know, I completely accept yeah. that. Um, yeah, but, like, Okay, we well, Okay, fine. We're good. Yeah, we're, we're good. good. We have fun. But, no,
0: le- <laughs> le- le- let me put it to you this way. My son and I went on a camping trip with the Boy Scouts once. And uh, please forgive me, y'all, if I've already told this story, but... It was a two night thing, and the Friday night was just we ended up, even though we were like the first or second people to pitch our tent there, uh, we ended up getting surrounded by every other, uh, like, you know, 40 other tents. And oh my gosh, didn't realize how many men in this world snore and snore loudly. And I had forgotten my earplugs, and it was the most wretched experience. And so the next day I was just exhausted, just dead. I did, I literally did not sleep at all. And I by the way, I went camping multiple times with my son and just like when I was his age, every time I've gone camping it's been a disaster. If I'm in charge, if if I'm in charge of the tent, right? Like when I was with my friends in high school, they would do most of the stuff and I would just be there just enjoying myself. That was fine. But when I'm the dad, when I'm in charge or something like that, it's just a disaster. Um, so anyway, where was I? Oh, so, so the Saturday rolls around and, and Ezra's allergies are acting up. I'm miserably tired and they're about to start like the campfire, the Saturday night campfire. And maybe I embellished a little bit, but I told the scout leader, I'm like, yep. Ezra's allergies are just so darn acting up, and plus he'd already done all the activities anyway. I didn't take much from him other than the campfire. We ended up going to a hotel that was next door to a Cracker Barrel. And Kay, if I hadn't have left, I wouldn't have gotten to see that night the most dramatic ending to a Michigan-Michigan State game that was on the TV that (laughs) night with a I think it was like a a, I don't forget it was a block pun or a went over the guy's head and anyway, my point is I would have missed out on that experience had I had stuck around. I do need my creature comforts and I have nothing against watching a TV while in a tent I'm just telling you I'm all for camping but it just needs some kind of control to that environment So you need
1: a grown up with you is what I'm hearing like you need someone Uh to come and be the grown up Okay me and Ian we'll take you camping we can be the grown ups Uh It'll be great Uh it'll be so much fun It'll be you
0: know it'll be great now your er your earliest memory was learning the alphabet on a beach that sounds like fun
1: it was oh my mom oh she's so great we used to go to these like pebble beaches i can't remember if it was in like greece or the canary islands or wherever
0: my goodness um
1: no it sounds really posh this was like back in the day this is like sort of (laughs) Uh pre-9-11 pre-everything where you could go to like You know the canary islands for like 10 days like three people and it would cost you like you know 50 quid or something i don't know um i'm gonna get a phone call from my mother after this goes out and she's gonna be like you got everything wrong um (laughs) it's gonna sound like that as well but no like she would um hi mom i know oh my gosh forgive forgive me Um, wait a
0: minute wait a minute wait a minute how much is 50 quid? Like, what's a quid? Oh,
1: what's a quid? quid is like a, a pound sterling. So, like, I guess like a dollar 30 probably right now ish. Gotcha. Um, but uh, okay. yeah, she would. So, she taught <laughs> me my alphabet. She would get the pebbles and write like a big A and then a little A and then a big B and a little B. Oh, that's great. And then I would have to like put them in order and we'd like spell <laughs> words. And I remember that vividly. I also remember the Siamese cats. Um, and then I'm absolutely 1,000% convinced. We have a picture in my parents' house. Oh, one sec. I just got to deal with this cat. There we go. You just blow on them <laughs> and they go away.
0: <laughs> you know, you could try a, a water bottle, like a squirt bottle. I, that would I that could. would do the trick, too. I That would
1: do the trick. Although I think one of my cats is into the water. He likes to try and get in the shower with me. It's a bit weird. My goodness. Yeah. But, um... <laughs> Wait, what we talk- Oh yeah, so I have this picture in my parents' house where it's me as like almost a newborn, my dad, my grandfather, my grandpa John and then grandfather's like almost like surrogate dad, I would say. So I I have a great grandfather but he died when my grandfather was um quite young, and he's actually, like, he's pretty famous. Like he's got a mountain named after him and stuff.
0: Wow. Yeah, I'm... Well, who's that? What's the mountain? Oh,
1: it's literally called Mount Smythe. It's in Canada. There's a Wikipedia page in everything. But my great-grandfather was like this famous mountaineer <laughs> back in the day. Also, oh. not the nicest person under the sun, according to literally everyone. Oh, no. Yeah. You know, it's pretty funny.
0: I see it. It's in Alberta. I found it. Frank Smythe.
1: Yeah, Frank. Yeah. So, All right.
0: He's got a Wikipedia page, too. He
1: sure does. He's a beautiful writer, I will say. Like, for as terrible as he probably was as a person, uh, he's a really exceptional <laughs> writer. His son did write a book about how terrible he was, though. Um, but that's a whole... Oh, my gosh. Listen story. to this.
0: You mentioned food poisoning. In 1949, you don't need me to tell you this, but uh, he got food poisoning. Mm-hmm. And, and then he got a bunch of malaria attacks... And my goodness, he died when he was
1: 48. Yeah. And he was like... That's terrible. Well, he was actually tipped. They reckon if he hadn't died, he probably would have been the first guy to make it to the summit of Everest, sort of predating Hillary. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. You know, it's like a nice little almost legacy right there. Um, But he's like, he's still... Like, he actually named this... Okay, so this this is very geography. He wrote a book about this valley in it's either in Nepal or India and he called it the valley of the flowers and to this day it's known like the official name of this valley is valley of the flowers national park so he like named that entire national park which is pretty cool which I didn't find out until like a couple of years ago even I was like what that's cool
0: that is very cool
1: yeah i was very impressed
0: that's cool and you got you got some interesting stuff in your uh family background oh yeah you ended up going to plymouth university Mm -hmm. where's that based out of
1: it's on the southwest coast of england it's uh like i'm from a little town called swansea and it's basically the english version of swansea it's like a bit of a dump but i had a great time it was really great
0: okay yeah so you ended up majoring in geography there. I did. We've established that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how do you get from over there to over here?
1: So I wrote for, I've always written. I used to lie about my age to get published. And I was writing and editing for uh, <laughs> my like college sort of uh, Syndication of the Tab, which is like this big student newspaper. Um, I was then scouted and wrote for uh the Huffington Post at the time. And <clears throat> I was in a cinema one day with a friend of mine watching some like, I don't know, B-list horror film. And I had wanted to do my thesis, my dissertation on how men predominantly transition out of organized crime syndicates into like normal day-to-day life and like leave kind of organized crime predominantly cartels gangs things like that and then the university was like absolutely not like that is like you will not pass a risk assessment to do that kind of work like choose something else and i was like okay fair enough um but i was in the cinema and this guy walks on screen and i was like okay either this is the greatest actor of all time or this guy is like legit ex-gang member turns out he was Um, His name's Richard Cabral. He was subsequently nominated for an Emmy for a show called American Crime. He was, um, now he's in sort of Mayans MC. And so a handful of the guys that are now in that show, Mayans MC, this was like before they even had like representation, some of them, like back when they were still like doing, you know, like odd jobs, like just left jail, just left prison. I somehow got in touch. I think it was like via like MySpace or Facebook, With uh Richard was like, hey dude, can I write about you? He's like, Absolutely. (laughs) Um, also, you should come and visit us all in LA. And so I'm there, like 21 years old. I've been to California a few times before, loved it, loved being there, always felt very at home in California. And so I was like, Yeah, okay, I'll go, I'll come visit. Like, why not? Again, I say I'll just say yes to anything, like to be honest with you. I'm just like, yeah, I've got nothing else to do. And so I went out and <laughs> um, hung out in LA. I was supposed to be there for like three days, ended up staying for like basically the entire like three months, like 90 days that you can get of a visa, um, like if you're just like traveling. And I was just hanging out. Like uh-huh. I was literally just here on vacation hanging out with these guys. And they were like, you've got to keep writing about us. And then through being here, I met a lot of people who had like started reading my work. I bumped into this woman at a, like a 10 year old's birthday party or something who uh, turned out to be an immigration attorney. She was like, you have a huge case because I'd had like a lot of media back in the UK. She was like, you've got a huge case. Um, If you wanted to, to be able to come and work here, you have a lot of people asking you to come and work here. So I was like, yeah, go on then let's do it. And so that's what I did. And I was mm-hmm. writing and researching for like all these different groups. It was really focused on um, these men, though, these incredible men who had done so much wrong in their lives. And like, I, I you know, a couple of the guys who were there's like sort of like a bit of like an inner circle. And there were a couple who I was like, these guys aren't going to make it. But there were a handful where I was like, oh, my goodness, if these guys stick at their craft, they are going to be able to not only completely reinvent their lives and make, you know, obviously huge sums of money for themselves and just go on to be like incredible artists. But they're also going to represent that for a lot of other young men who are maybe given the option of like, hey, join the street gang, join this cartel, give up on your dreams of becoming a creative, give up on your dreams of becoming an artist. Um, and, you know, do all these things and then end up either dead or in prison. And so that's really what I wanted to shine a light on. And then they go and start a blimmin' TV show where they're all a bunch of gangsters. And it's like, mm, okay, I guess that's what we're doing then. Um, so it's like this bizarre, okay, did, did you ever see Sons of Anarchy?
0: I'm familiar with it. I have not watched it, no. So
1: it's a show about um, uh, a motorcycle gang out in the California desert. Right. And there was a direct... Right. So this is some geography. This is the human geography that I used to do. There was a direct correlation between the release of Sons of Anarchy and the growth in motorcycle gangs across the United States. Like there was this huge resurgence. And then as soon as Sons of Anarchy went off air, it's a brilliant show, by the way. Like, I mean, if you've ever seen Yellowstone, it's one of the same guys who did that, does Yellowstone. And then Mm. as soon as it went off air, um, that kind of fad like kind of pitted out a bit. And then they just completely re-released it with a predominantly uh, Latin cast. Like, uh, I think most of the guys in it are either from Los Angeles and their ancestry is from like uh, Salvador, Mexico, other parts of Central and South America. Um, and so it's sort of like a spin-off. And I'm like, okay, but you just did all of this work to get like the narrative changed from, hey, don't become a gangster. And now you've all decided to go and do this show that's going to, tell young guys to go and join motorcycle gangs again. We've seen it happen once, and now we're gonna see it happen again. Um, But they're all really Uh nice, they're all really good looking, they're all really fun, and they treated me so incredibly well. And so I hung out with them for a bit, and then like my career and living in California, I just kind of like, again, I say yes to every, like every opportunity that I'm offered, I'm gonna say yes to it, because I don't wanna like live with any kind of regret. And I also am very content with a very simple life. And so I don't look for these opportunities. They very much like come to me and- They find you. Yeah. And so that's almost like how I ended up moving out here. And I mean, like, who wouldn't want to live in America? I've been to like so many other countries. Um, I was in Hong Kong during the fall of Hong Kong and I nearly moved there. I was very close to moving to Hong Kong and then like China was just like, just trashed it. And I just like, there's nowhere better in in my opinion. There's nowhere better than America. So, you know.
0: That's an opinion that many of us share. Mm. Uh, So for all of our struggles uh, as a nation, uh, when you take a step back and you look at the rest of the world, um, this is such, uh, hands down, the greatest country in the history of the world as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, Um, yeah. Okay, so you're out in California, you're taking advantage of this opportunity presented to you and you had mentioned earlier in the conversation that Ian, our mutual friend, you were the first person, I guess he rescued, from an abusive relationship. Is that right? I don't want to talk about something that maybe you're not comfortable with. No. But I'm, is, I'm so is this, ready is this where it, it happened
1: then? No. Well, so a couple of things. First thing, um, it wasn't Ian. Ian introduced me to a man called Jeremiah Wilbur. You can find him on social media, um, Jeremiah underscore Blackbeard. He runs this group called the War Party Movement. And I, I, you know, like, okay. I, I'm i really actually glad that you asked me this question. Um, and again, in true case, my fashion, I'm going to end up going off on a tangent here. So living in California, living in any city in California is an abusive relationship right now, firstly, because of the amount of crime that's there, hmm. it's very dangerous to live there. But no, I was in for about a year. I'd been in one very weird relationship and I have this theory that I'm sort of working on right now, that most women who go through abusive relationships have to go through at least two before they break the cycle. And it's not, I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about, you know, hundreds of women that I've spoken to over the last uh probably about two years of kind of realizing I was in an, a, a very abusive relationship that subsequently became very physically abusive. And then as soon as it became physically abusive, I was like, I'm out of here. And thank goodness, I had one friend who called me and was like, basically said point blank, he begged me like, do not go back because if you go back, this relationship will kill you. And so, or like words to that effect. And so I was in a very incredibly unique situation actually, where I'd gone through this sort of like sudden bout of violence And I had like a black eye, like, you know, I looked like rough, like I really looked very beaten up afterwards. And um, I, the next day had to go and record a show with Dr. Drew of all people. Um, We were talking about my work, um, that at the time was very much focused on the homeless crisis. And I've been attacked by homeless people in Los Angeles as well. Um, some crazy guy had like, you know, almost tried to dox me on a bunch of forums. He got my address wrong actually, but it basically said like, you know, go and like kill this chick. Um, so that was also happening at the time. Um, but I show up at Drew's house and he's like, Hey, are you okay? And I real like it sort of like time slowed down. And I was like, I can either lie, which I'm terrible at and say, Hey, everything's (laughs) fine. Or I can be completely honest with someone who is arguably the leading mental health expert in the world, who has worked with every single avenue of mental health, whether it comes from like addiction or like, you know, kind of a biological issue, you know.
0: What timing to have this scheduled, huh?
1: Yeah. And he and I just told him what happened. Um, His wife, Susan, was there. Not only did they hook me up with the most incredible therapist, like on the spot, They talked me through it. They made me feel like they basically addressed it like exactly how you kind of, how I needed it at that time. It wasn't like, oh no, I'm going to show you all this sympathy. It was, oh, this is an awful thing, but it doesn't have to define you. And that was what I really wanted to ensure was that I wasn't defined. I didn't go into like every future relationship expecting to be abused. I didn't want to use it as a crutch because I have I have met women who have been through and, you know, it's a scale and it's relative. Um, You know, if you go through any kind of abuse, it is relative, but when you have like, there is a little bit of a difference between being yelled at and having a gun pointed at your head, you know? And so Mm -hmm. like, I didn't want to be like, Oh, I'm like this eternal victim. And what Drew and Susan really managed to do was kind of take me out of that victim place immediately. And they were like, you are not a victim. You are a person who got caught up in a very bad situation and we can absolutely remedy this. And so they put me in touch with my therapist who was incredible. Um, I did a type of therapy called EMDR. And then I did talk therapy. I needed eight sessions of EMDR, which is like almost like a mild hypnosis type thing. Um, and then I did talk therapy for about six months and then, um, um, that was when I'd like, you know, sort of saved up enough. I'd found a place out in North Carolina. um, And that's when Jeremiah came, picked me up and moved me. But the other thing that those guys did, which was incredible, was um, this happened on the Saturday before Thanksgiving. And then I was there on the Sunday. And then I was like, oh my goodness. And I think Susan actually asked, she was like, well, what are you going to do for Thanksgiving now? And I was like, well, I don't know. And she was like, you're going to come do it with us. And this was like right in the middle of COVID. And so... They usually would have had like a huge party, like they would have had any other year, but it was basically me, Drew, Susan, their children, who are now some of my best friends in the whole universe. Like they raised such a great family, Mm. like such a great family. And then Adam Carolla, who I didn't know who he was, but I was just like, Uh oh my Uh god, like this is cool, like this is actually you know what.
0: I used to listen to Dr. Drew and Adam Carolla do uh, Love Lines mm-hmm. about 20 years ago. 25, my gosh, where does the time go? Over 20 years ago. And so I'm very familiar. So when you were talking about Dr. Drew, my mind goes back to that show uh, from a while back. But yeah, he's always seemed like a, a great guy. And and you telling the story about he and his wife, uh, it just solidifies that. That's, that's incredible.
1: Yeah, I mean, he needs to be, you know, like... <sighs> again, Susan's gonna kill me for saying this, but like Drew should be in politics. Like the good that he could do for this country. I mean, mm. there's, there's very few people like Drew who have like such a pure heart and who are really very like data and practically driven. He's the first person to admit right. when he gets something wrong. He's the first person to admit when he doesn't know yeah. like everything. And I think that that's like, we need a little bit more of that. I think like he's the most humble person you'll ever meet. But no, yeah, through mm. doing that with Drew, and then I actually got my own radio show. I've been I'd done like one season at that point, and then I did another season a couple of months later. Jeremiah, this uh the guy who actually subsequently rescued me, met through Ian and then just very quickly sort of realized like, oh, like there is like God brought us together for a reason. And I posted, mm. so I was like <laughs> Joe Pags actually was like hey do you want to come and fill in for my radio show do you want to like do the full three hours and I was like absolutely and I was working with someone at the time on the show who lived out in North Carolina and so I was like look I'll fly out to North Carolina to record it because I don't want to do it here in LA and then I was trying to picture like driving back or like moving back to LA after recording the show and I was like I can't do it I just can't do it and so I posted it on like Instagram I was like hey does someone want to drive me from Los Angeles <laughs> to North Carolina thinking no one would respond or like no one serious would respond. Jeremiah responded within I think three minutes of me putting the post up and he was like I've wanted to get you out of there for so long. His wife again wow. his wife Jessica was just like go and get her now you should have rescued her forever ago. Like I was getting mm-hmm. like daily death threats like it was not a fun place to be. And you know, Mm. I couldn't have this conversation a year ago. Like I just, I wouldn't have been able to have it, but because of this incredible network of men and women, I've just, it completely rebuilt me. And so, yeah, I blame Ian, I blame Drew, I blame Jeremiah, I blame Joe Paggs, all these amazing (laughs) people for giving me this just unadulterated confidence in myself. I really don't That's know. Great. I wouldn't be on you as well, Keith, you know, like you're like, you're one of the best people I've ever met ever. I was like, not surprised when you and Ian, like when I was just like, oh, this is great. Like, this are two of the best people I know. And now they know each other. Like, this is magical. Um, it's a small world, huh? It's a very small
0: world. So so you're in North Carolina now. Mm-hmm. And you literally are a jack of all trades, quite frankly. I mean, you could, you can write, you can do a hit on a news network, uh, host a radio show. So there's obviously a lot to you, and that's present day, Kay. <laughs> now, I want to talk about previous jobs you've held. You worked at a door? What were you, a bouncer at a bar?
1: <laughs> I knew you were going to bring this up. Um, so I wasn't like a bouncer necessarily, but... Um, my, okay. my i was trying
0: to imagine you like intimidating people at the door like how yeah. th- how tall are you i'm like
1: five four when i'm lying about it i'm like five two in okay. reality See? All, right. Yeah.
0: all right i was just trying to imagine you at the bar entrance like no you're not coming in here oh I,
1: that, was so, wh- that was me that wh- was me
0: oh it was yeah. oh, is that is that what you did would- you would intimidate people and have
1: them back off yeah well like if people were getting on my nose i'd be like i don't like your shoes get out of here no, um, I used to work, uh, my, my best friend back in Wales, um, chap Noah, he, uh, he started a jazz club that just like gentrified the entire city. It was the crazy, again, geography It was the coolest thing. Um, started this jazz club, ended up buying another <laughs> club, was, uh, a sort of regular slash DJ at a, like in, in my opinion, the best nightclub of all time. It was called the monkey bar in Swansea. I miss it every single day. It doesn't even exist anymore and Hmm. i the
0: monkey bar that's a good that is a great name for a bar the monkey bar (laughs) right isn't it great
1: (laughs) like it was it it. was incredible it was such a dive but i loved i just loved it we were open till like five six o'clock in the morning oh it was amazing um (laughs) but uh noah had me uh doing payments on the door for the jazz club um on mondays and he suddenly, I think he realized that I just had, like, the worst attitude. So, like, it was two two pounds to get in. So, like, you know, a, a, like maybe $3 at the very most. Okay. You would be amazed, Keith, how many grown men would be like, oh, I just want to go in to, like, use the bathroom, and then I'm just going to sit outside. And I'm like, well, you'll pay in so that these guys over here can play music. Like, that's what we're taking. Like, I'm not taking money that's going to go to know her and like all of the money went towards mm-hmm. the musicians they would bring in who were like, a lot of them were kids. A lot of them were younger than me in school um, that just happened mm-hmm. to be these brilliant musicians. And so these people will come in and be like, oh yeah, I'm not gonna like, you know, I'm sat outside. And I was like, oh, sound doesn't travel that far, does it? Like dear is just suddenly just like tune out the music as soon as you <laughs> walk through the door. It's three quid. Wow,
0: you did intimidate them. Oh yeah. You scared some guys.
1: I like, I used to use <laughs> a lot of naughty words. Um, I remember one time this guy, yeah, I know. Shocking. Right. Um, but there was like this one time, this guy who looked like this, I remember he looked like a British politician called Alistair Darling. He had like white hair and these thick, dark caterpillar eyebrows. And he was like, it was like two pounds to get in. And he was like, Oh, you know, I'm just going to like, you know, pop in, order my drink. And then I'm going to come sit back outside. And I was like, dude, if you can't afford two pounds to walk through this door, you need to go home Mm -hmm. and really work on yourself. Because I'm not letting you through this door unless you pay that money. Awesome. And honestly, I'd rather you go ahead and get the help you need. And I remember actually seeing him at like a house party like years later that one of my friend's like uh, mothers threw. And he was like, you know, you were really mean when he worked on the door at Noah's. And I was just like, I don't care. You're really cheap. Get out of my face. Um, <laughs> But like, that's my oh, attitude. No. And like, so now whenever like someone from Swansea, like people from my hometown think I'm like this very intimidating person. Cause I did that then at like other bars and other nightclubs. And like, I just, the power just went straight to my head, man like i was a nightmare uh-huh. it was terrible like i remember this one time like the only millionaire in swansea tried to come through the door and i knew who he was and he's like oh i know noah and i was like oh my god me too it's still a tenner to come in oh i was just <laughs> <laughs> it was just difficult i was just
0: a- that's understandable i mean you had a job to do and you did it well i
1: mean so- i did have big scary bouncers around me who like when things really kicked off i'd be uh-huh. like i need I need a man (laughs) yeah so you know uh
0: (laughs) where did you work with cannabis
1: uh that was pretty much so I actually wrote my dissertation on cannabis um on the sort of like social aspects of like why we need legalization and then when I moved out Mm -hmm. here the legalization campaign was in like full swing in California and I just submitted a bunch of like research that I already had that I'd been collecting um, to an outlet called the cannabis industry journal not knowing like I didn't realize at the time that it was and probably to this day like one of the top rated and most respected journals on the cannabis business and the science of cannabis in the industry and the editor there whose name escapes me right now I mean this was you know like six years ago or something um published my pieces and all of these, like people who didn't even like smoke weed. Um, these people who were like mm-hmm. investors, who, you know, were really in the sort of like technological business, you know, yeah, like tech and business side of cannabis, Read it, And one of those guys uh, at the time was, and like, I, I, from there, again, it just sort of like, it just bubbled up. Like a lot of people were like sharing the content. I met some people who to this day, I consider my best friends in the whole universe. Um, But one of those guys is a guy called Ryan Hamilton, who subsequently um, ended up basically running the marketing department for a a huge cannabis company that um, actually got in a lot of trouble later. And it was so funny because I'd met him through like other businesses and then he got this job uh, working for this huge cannabis company and he was like hey we're doing this like big launch campaign but we want to feature like real people who work and understand cannabis in the launch campaign for this company um do you want to come and do this like little photo shoot that we were doing like it's downtown LA um we'll just use you for like 20 minutes we'll you know we can like pay you to be like you know you're a writer so we'll pay you as a writer and you know all this kind of stuff and so I was just like yeah, cool. Like, sounds good. Like thinking it would just be like a social media thing. And then about three months later, uh, I was walking down towards my very first apartment in Venice beach, right by the canals. It was a dungeon, worst place I've ever lived. Um, (laughs) and I get this text from this guy, Ryan, and it's just a photo of my face on a huge billboard at the end of my blog. And I was like, what? what um what did you do and he was like well you know like you're part of the campaign and I'm like yeah dude but like I'm everywhere and they put me on sunset like I remember I had a boyfriend at the time we got into like an argument and so he went out for a drive and he was like I went out to get away from you and all I could see is your face everywhere <laughs> everywhere <I could." laughs> I was that like, is awesome it was great yeah, and so things kind uh, of okay. get yeah, ramped up from there again. And so um, I just wrote a piece last year for um, about this incredible guy, Ron Brandon, who uh, runs a company called Kingston <clears throat> Royal out of California. Does a lot of like the so- yeah, he is the social mm. equity guru of cannabis, and he was the one who like dragged me back into uh writing more for like mainstream media because i've just been private sector for a long time so yeah it was uh i can't i can't avoid it i've gotta
0: (laughs) uh, right right i gotta ask a girl from south wales how does she get into country music
1: Dude, how do you not get into country music is the real question here. I don't trust Uh people who don't Uh like country. So I grew up on like the more sort of bluesy folk side.
0: Uh Hold on. Hold on. No, I feel like I have to defend myself here. Okay. Hang on a second. Oh my
1: God. Do you not like Um, country music? I don't as a general
0: rule. However, (gasps) I have exceptions. And those are very few and far between. Mm-hmm. But are your um, I absolutely love Garth Brooks' Greatest Hit CD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> CD, look how old I am. <laughs> um, I I do enjoy Johnny Cash. Mm-hmm. And um, Devil Went Down to Georgia. Uh, I will uh, I'll listen to that. And, um, you know, other than that, eh. Doesn't do anything for me.
1: Okay, I'm going to make you a playlist because... I just I
0: you can make me a playlist, but it has to include Charlie Daniels, Garth Brooks and Johnny Cash.
1: Okay, that's fine. That's fine. But I'm going to (laughs) interject it with some of my favorite country musicians. So I just went and saw um, Craig Morgan last year. Um, Absolutely incredible singer, like one of the best shows I've ever been to, Um, even though we weren't allowed to get up and dance because of like the rules or whatever in the place. But like whatever. Um, Oh, I know. A COVID rule? It was, yeah, I was not happy.
0: Uh, uh, Wait, wait, hold on. Hold on. Does dancing spread COVID now? Dear heaven.
1: Fun spreads COVID. That's the rules. (laughs) Fun
0: fun spreads covid (laughs) Uh uh-huh okay so you went to this concert huh and it was
1: a good time well like my dad's like super sharp my dad is super into all types of music i grew up listening to like james taylor and like a lot of the sort of like more cloud eagles that kind of like classic blues folky rock and roll and then also like a lot of gypsy folk like ozark mountain daredevils things like that. And then Mm. when I moved out to America, I was like, what is American culture? American culture is country music. And okay, (laughs) I might get in trouble for saying this because as a general rule, like my first love was a musician and um, he still goes for like dinner at my parents' house. But (laughs) since then I was like, I don't date musicians. I just do not do it. Like, you know, I love musicians, but like, I will not date them. And then I saw Morgan Mm. Wallen on television Uh and i was like who is this mulleted tall glass of redneck water i was like "Mm, that's a nice little can of pbr right there yes um and then i listened to his music and i was like stick a fork in me i am done like i would like i honestly i don't get starstruck i really don't Other than one time I met the woman who created Weeds and Orange is the New Black and I fam so hard over her, but I heard Morgan Wallen (laughs) and I just like something inside me changed. I swear to God, I was like, wow, this guy's music rips my soul to ribbons. And then I have a really good friend who kept sending me country music. And from there I sort of discovered like, honestly, just like, like as much as I could possibly get, um, Oh, and wow. then Craig Morgan, I went after I went and saw him, I was like, wow, this guy is absolutely insatiable. Like I've never heard like what I love about country music is it's poetry turned into a hymn that becomes an anthem. And that's like it's it's so many different it plays on so many different emotions and it's so intricately mm developed and like i'm a bit of a poetry like novice i don't really like, know a lot about poetry i have like a couple that i like and you know i grew up with obviously dylan thomas and stuff like that but um
0: obviously obviously
1: well she actually was born on the road next to where i was <laughs> born but, I have like, no idea. you know okay um <laughs> he's like the only welsh he was like oh do you know katherine cia jones and dylan thomas and i'm like yeah those are the only two welsh people that's fine <laughs> anthony hopkins like yeah but um
0: uh-huh okay yeah
1: no and then like yeah morgan wallen definitely like started me on that trajectory and then like he got cancelled for a minute and then he came back and i was like yes this is my man um but he's Mm. yeah i was i'm a big fan like you should really check out his stuff i think a lot of people like he's not real country music and i'm like he absolutely is and okay Mm. this is my last kind of like thing about country so when i moved out to north carolina I had a friend out here whose husband is actually a country music uh, DJ. So he has like a, a radio show. It's a Mandarin mic in the mornings on QDR. And they had all of this like furniture at their place and also a lot of cats. And they were like, hey, we want to get rid of this furniture. Do you want it? And also here's like a bunch of amazing gifts for the cats. And so I like, you know, they, they (laughs) kidded me out. It was great. I got like the table that I'm currently using. And so after listening, you know, every morning now really to Mike and Amanda, I'm just like, I'm, you know, you cut me, I bleed red, white, and blue. I love it. I love my country (laughs) music. I just, you really don't like it. What do you not like about it, dude?
0: I don't like the sound. I I don't, I don't, I just, I mean, what? I don't know how to explain this other than it's just not my, My cup of tea, Um, generally speaking. Oh, my god! I didn't know I was going to be judged today. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh,
1: let's see here. Uh,
0: Yeah, okay. So uh, you mentioned your dad. Mm -hmm. Big influence on your life. Uh, Tell us about him.
1: Oh, my dad's the best. I've never seen my dad judge anyone. I mean, like, he takes the mick out of me. Like, I mean, I no, I always like to say that no one makes better fun Hold on. of me than me.
0: Wait, he takes the mick out of you? You're going to have to explain this to Georgia boy here.
1: Oh, OK. Yeah. And I guess like that word has like negative connotations out here, but it's not like it's not a derogatory term. I've never world. heard it. Okay. So basically uh, to take the mech out of someone, is like make fun of them. He just never lets me get away with anything, but he also never judges anyone for anything. And I've never known anyone who's like, I've never met anyone who works as hard as my parents worked, but Mm. I've also never met anyone who take real pleasure out of the simplest things in life. Like they as an only child, you know, I think it was a lot easier for them to raise me. And we had some, you know, incredible experiences. I mean, like I traveled the world before I turned like 12 years old and that's all because of like, my. yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. Like, but that's all because of like my mom's financial literacy because they worked so hard. We didn't spend money on like a fancy TV or like fancy cars, like, you know, stuff was never important. Stuff was always replaceable and related to status. Whereas it was like, well, you know, we don't need nice things. We just need a good, happy, healthy, you know, life. It's 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 substance over style. Um and I have no style as a result, which is fine. Um <laughs> you know, I literally wear my dad's old jeans, like, you know. Um but he yeah, he's just for someone who didn't want kids, and then my parents had me very late in life, like they were well into their thirties when my mom um, finally got pregnant and my dad was like not a fan, like didn't, he He just didn't want kids. And then as soon as I was born, he was like, let's have 12 more. My mom was just like, no, she's fine. <laughs> and I think it it really, having a dad like my dad, Like I think if someone ever said anything mean to his face, he would be kind of like the first person to be like, okay, but like, let's understand how you got to that place in your mentality, because you're not like, Mm. you didn't get to this place from nowhere. Like, how can I kind of like evolve your mentality? Whereas I would just go in and be like, I'm going to beat you up for saying that about my dad. Um, Right. But he like, but then he also does this thing. Like one time he came out to visit, he, he comes out like a lot on his own because we love to do like a lot of hiking a lot of just like hanging out basically and he came out Mm -hmm. one time and he got a sociology degree and you know for one of a better word like i got a geography degree but i'm a sociologist really by trade um and i was like well you know sociology is a science and he's like no it's not dude we debated for three freaking days and then in the end, I was like, we didn't talk about anything else. It was just this one freaking debate. <laughs> and then by the end of it, I was just like, here's my logic, which I can't even remember now because this is a long time ago. I was like, here's my logic. And I don't think you can argue with this. And he goes, huh, yeah, you finally got there. Well done. And I was like, oh! <laughs> He's just,
0: oh, he sounds like a great dad. Never
1: answered a question. Never, if I ever asked my dad a question, he would turn around and be like, figure it out. Like, you've got enough knowledge, you've got enough understanding. You know, he did all the traditional stuff. Like, you know, he read me all the Harry Potters and did the voices. And my mom actually taught me how to ride a bike. It's just, like, they're just really good people. Like, I don't think I realized it until I got a little bit older and I, you know, had to go through some like not very nice life experiences. But they just, I just, just, I got lucky, I guess. Like, I just got really good parents, yeah. um, you know. It
0: sounds like it. It sounds like it. And and you talked about how you and your dad, he'd come out and go hiking with you there in California. Other hobbies of yours are singing and walking. You list those. When I saw that answer, I don't know why I thought of this, but you, and, and it's only been encapsulized by the energy that you present in this conversation. It feels like you're a power walker. Do I have that right?
1: Yes. And my dog hates it. I'm like, I know where I'm going and I'm going to get that like right now. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. Just, just, it was just a hunch and I'm so glad we got there. It didn't take much. Yes. Um, you, you mentioned uh, the last book you read and I've read this too. And I feel like, I don't know if I set my expectations too high or if it just was over my head, but I feel like I'm the only person, and since you bring this book up, I'm going to mention this. I feel like I'm the only person who didn't think The Alchemist was everything that it should have been. It just seemed like it had potential the entire book. It just didn't do it for me. Am I? Did I miss something major <laughs> here that the rest of humanity has grasped?
1: Um, oh, I love The Alchemist. Um... See, so, I mean, no. Like I think, you know, you and I should I, hate each other. I don't because we dislike right, I, things, you know, like we don't have enough in common and we're supposed to hate people who don't have all the same opinions right. as us these days. Oh, uh, exactly, you know? exactly. But see, now I I don't hate The Alchemist. I just feel like it
0: was a letdown. And 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 I don't go out on the fiction limb very often. Okay? Mm, I like historic type books, or maybe historic. Fiction is really good. The only book, I know I've said this a million times, the only book I've ever read twice was To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm. Um, And it now seems like a, a prerequisite for every one of these conversations on this podcast that I have to bring up, Captains and the Kings. I love that book. That's fiction. But it's based in history. It's based in the past. And The Alchemist, it just... I don't know. I, I I just was expecting enlightenment. I was expecting to read this book. And then when I closed the book for the last time, I was supposed to walk away and have a new perspective on life. And instead, I think I was the only person who closed that book when getting to the end and went, eh, I guess.
1: <laughs> I mean, I can completely see, I mean, it, it, it ends so abruptly. And I don't want to give too many spoilers to people listening who maybe haven't read it. I have a completely different opinion uh, to Keith on this but uh, <laughs> I, I try to read it once everybody a year. does you know there's a couple of books oh, wow. that I read once a year like I do that I do Into Thin Air um, there's a couple of John Krakow books that I love um, and then actually since I guess I sent all of that stuff over to you I also just read um, oh god what's it called Where the Crawdads Sing that's like the only fiction I've read in a long time I do like Carl Hyacinth though if you ever read his books they're really weird but going back to the app. Op-
0: Hold on. That's come up. That's come up before. Oh, really? Um, on this program. And yep, there it is. <laughs> Laura Black. I had to go and check my, uh, I, as you said that, I was like, that sounds familiar. And I just checked my email. And uh, yeah, so that's a previous uh, previous ATM. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No,
1: which one? Carl Hyerson or Where uh, the crawdad Dad Sing? Where
0: the Crawl Dad Sing? Uh, Sing. Oh,
1: that's a good book. I'm going to order you a copy of that book. It's really good no Um, no yeah no you'll enjoy it don't worry it's nothing like the alchemist um but no i i get why you didn't like it oh shut up give send you a gift uh um Uh,
0: i'm not send an audio (laughs) book okay i'll send (laughs) Send you the link link.
1: okay that's fair (laughs) um i'm also reading dreamland right now by sam surname i can't remember um but anyway alchemist stay on topic okay um I understand why because it it ends so abruptly and it's sort of like you're expecting something, you know, yeah, I, I, I get it. Like you're expecting something revolutionary and then the way that it ends, I think is it's very sudden. And I think what I loved about it, and maybe this is more like my personality but I don't like, there are a few things that I plan for in life, right? Like I knew that I wanted to be a writer and I mean, it took me until I was like 28 years old and I'd started when I was 11. Um, it took me until like, yeah, the last year for me to be like, oh my gosh, I'm actually a professional writer. I actually did that. Wow. Okay. No wonder and you I'm, get paid for it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but I also, it's like, no wonder I'm so freaking poor. Um, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I uh but like for me life is so much about the journey and I make decisions not based on what I can get from that situation but from how I'm going to be able to look back on my life because everything we do eventually you know whether it takes us 5 seconds or you know 50 years all of it becomes a memory. And like, I watched a documentary years ago, again, with my dad, it was a physics documentary on the end of the solar system. And right at the end of this documentary, this guy describes how the planet becomes like, the theory is that the planet will become vaporized by our expanding sun. Um, And for some reason afterwards, me and my dad just kind of sat, like, I don't know if we were like, you know, I like we'd had a little bit of wine or whatever. Like we were sat there just like, wow, life is meaningless. And then it, that very quickly became a <laughs> feeling of like, wait, it's not meaningless. It just means that life, and this is going to sound so cliche, but life is about the journey that we go through that leads to these like sudden, like sort of sparks of moments. Like, you know, for me, like camping out in Arizona in the back of the truck, like that was a big moment um, for me last year that was incredibly grounding and something I'll like never forget kind of thing or you know it's uh Mm -hmm. my first like big tv hit I did just get bumped by Fox twice not that I'm bitter about it it's fine um but um (laughs) you know there's like little things that like I never planned for ever like there are no things that I ever planned for that I've been able to live through And as a result of those things, I've been able to continue on this like very fascinating journey. And so like there are certain things I plan for, like I said, like I plan to become a writer. You know, my next sort of like life goal is to have at least sort of like 10 acres of arable land everyone keeps saying this this these days they're like oh, i'm gonna go like run my own farm and i'm just like unless you've actually run your own farm or like run a smaller holding like it's not gonna happen for you you can't like pinterest this stuff it's hard work and you just have to accept that it's <laughs> a slow life it's kind of miserable i'm all for it i cannot wait um again that's how i grew up But like, there's little things like that, that I, you know, plan for, but I don't expect it to happen overnight. I expect it to take, you know, a very long time. It took me a very long time to become a writer. Like, it's going to take me just as long to get to that kind of lifestyle that I want. And, you know, there's other things like, I'd like to be married. I really want to have kids. Um, But that, Mm -hmm. you know, takes another person being involved. And so, you know, I can't plan for that as well. But what I, what I really took away from the alchemist was if you listen to those, what if you have done acid?
0: Oh, I'm going to ask you about that. That's okay. I'm I'm glad because you, you list that as the biggest turning point in your life doing acid.
1: Yeah, that, that, I mean, I would not recommend it to anyone, but it was, it was the best thing I'd ever done for myself. I think certainly at that point, um, probably is why I'm here now. It was a very long time ago. But um, I think if you have like a little bit of faith and you don't overthink the journey that you're on, it allows you to be more maybe appreciative of the very small things that you have in life. And I think it allows you to kind of like find your treasure, even in like the worst situations. And like, again, I hate, I'm sorry if this is like a spoiler for people listening, but you know, right at the end of The Alchemist, you know, this kid, he's been on this like enormous journey and he's, you know, getting really badly beaten up. And one sentence from one of the guys beating him changes the entire course of his life all over again. It, you know, after everything he's been through, even at his very like bottom, 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 he gets this tiny little gift. That sets him on a journey all over again and like that is what I love like I'm a bit of an optimist like I'm a bit of a sucker for like being one of these like realistic optimists but sometimes I go too far in the optimist direction um as a result probably of the acid but um I uh that's what I really loved about it you know and it was a gift from a friend and he also bought me Siddhartha which is another great book that's sort of like it's like one of those books where like everything happens nothing happens then it ends and you're just like what
0: i I got you so wait
1: but but
0: why do you attribute doing acid to not only the biggest turning point in your life but you listed it just a moment ago as a very positive thing for the trajectory of your life how so
1: um well you know i said something um earlier like you know you have i i have this theory that you have to go through two abusive relationships to really sort of like i like see that cycle and then break it And so Mm -hmm. I had been in a pretty, not very nice relationship, but it was a bit, I don't want to get too into it right now, but it was just weird, dude. Like he wasn't Mm. like a mean guy, but like turned out to be a complete psycho kind of thing. Um, Mm. And so I left that relationship was like living alone. And I think I was in a very vulnerable place. And there are a lot of people who were trying to take advantage of me at that point. Like I was on all these billboards, you know, I was sort of like everywhere at the time, especially like people in the weed industry. There was like a lot of like very bad actors. And there was one in particular who owed me to this day. He owes me a lot of money. Um, Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah.
0: I want to I want to hear about a couple of experiences that you've had where you nearly got blown up and you ran down an erupting volcano. What in the world? Have you been like on movie sets? What? What's the story there?
1: Um, well, the blow up thing, that was like, my parents get annoyed when I talk about this. It happened in Morocco <laughs> the first time. And we were like just leaving Marrakesh as this cafe got blown up. One time I was running through Marylebone Station in London and this kid was cleaning the floor with his prayer mat. And I look at my boyfriend and I'm like, dude, it's not called to prayer right now. And he was like, oh my goodness, you're right. And so this kid had this backpack on that was like the same size as me. And actually that boyfriend had um, been on the train before the one that got blown up on the 7-7 bombings. And so he and I just start sprinting through the train station. And as he's kind of like dragging me around this corner, I look back and this kid's being like dragged into the back of a white van by a bunch of guys who looked very scary, um, who I assume were like some kind of, you know, MI6, MI5 type thing. I don't know. Um, So it was that. And then the volcano, well, that's my blimmin' dad's fault. So he's like, let's go to Italy (laughs) and go hike up this volcano because like we can go and do it real cheap. And I'm like, yeah, uh, that sounds freaking sick. So we go up this volcano and like, hey dad, look over there. And we look down the side of this volcano, we're probably like about 600 feet from the summit at this point. And I'm like, that looks like, like there's this kind of hole in the ground and all of this um, ash is coming out. And I'm like, that looks like a vent that's just opened. And that usually happens during an eruption. And my dad, who doesn't have a degree in this, who doesn't know anything about like the geology of this stuff. Really, I mean, like he does, he's very well read. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's a vent that's just opened, which means that this volcano might be erupting. And my dad's like, no, nah, it's fine, let's carry on. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so we keep going up, this blimmin' volcano. And then I'm looking at it and I'm like, so it was Mount Etna on Sicily um, in Italy. And Mount Etna... It's sort of, it's a very interesting, like the geology of Etna. I'm not going to get into it because I'll probably get it wrong, but it creates its own weather system because it's like, uh, it's a very, uh, it's it's a very active volcano, and there's a lot of heat that comes out of the top, and um, as a result, a lot of water condenses as it's coming over, and like it just, it's kind of cool, like you can watch these weather systems being created, and so we're going up, and I'm like, all of a sudden. These white sort of clouds that were being formed are now gray, like as in ash. And so I'm like, dad, Mm. I'm pretty sure this is not a good situation. My dad's like, (laughs) no, it's fine. Like we're nearly there. And so we're within like probably 200 feet of the summit. And this truck pulls up and this Italian guy gets up like, oh, no, the volcano is erupting. You have to go now. I have to go get more people from the summit. And so we just like I was like, I freaking told you so. I used much stronger words than that. I was like, I've already told you so. (laughs) And so we just go hurtling down the side of this volcano. Like it probably took about four or five hours to get up as high as we did, maybe more. And it took us probably like 20, 30 minutes to get back down because we were running so fast. I had shin splints for a month afterwards. And as we get into this tiny, crappy little Fiat, I don't know if you've ever driven in Italy, but it's very dangerous. Those guys are insane. So we're driving like round these like tiny little Italian streets in what was, you know, ostensibly just a tin can and like all this ash, they create these things called lahars, which are like mud flows. So like the entire road is just like getting washed away. Dude, it was, it was the, it's like, I'm not even going into like as much detail as I could because it was one of the most ridiculous situations I've ever been in. And like to this day, me and my dad, like I can't, I can't use the words that he used, but like later that night, uh, we went out for food. Cause like, I guess like the, the ash had kind of stopped and we were hungry. So he goes to this restaurant. We're walking back to, um, this, uh, I don't even know what you would call it. Like an apartment that we rented, I guess. Um, and my dad's walking ahead of me, maybe like 10 feet ahead of me. And like, you think I power walk like this man power walks, but, uh, he walks into the square in this little village, um, in Sicily. And all I hear is him swear as loud as humanly possible. And there's a bunch of nuns standing outside the cathedral, like, you know, 20 feet away and they look at him and then they look up and I'm like, what is he swearing about? And I run around the corner and the volcano at this point is probably like 15 miles away and we could feel the heat of the lava flow from that distance because it was just, I got a picture of it somewhere on my um, Instagram. I have to send it to you because I have never seen anything like it. And so we just went and sat wow. on the roof of this building like for hours into the night just watching this thing erupt. That was like a, like an 11 mile or 11 kilometer, I can't remember like lava flow it was insane mm. we were the last plane actually off sicily the next day and it was very scary <laughs> but
0: um my gosh yeah well was, i don't know so i uh, in your life uh, you've already you know accomplished so much seen so much you've had a lot of encounters with celebrities any stories good or bad that you are able to share with us
1: mm. um Mm, uh celebs i'm trying to be like nicer about celebrities these days because like i keep especially when i was back in la like i didn't really care but like now whenever i go to new york i'm like okay i should probably be a little bit nicer because you know i can be um have you been mean to them in the past i mean i've mouthed off at people before (laughs) like sure Um, but like I'll mouth off for anyone. Like if someone comes out with something stupid, I'm going to be like, that's dumb. Um, but you know, I also expect people to say the same back to me. Uh, I don't know. I I'm trying to think like off the top of my head. I mean, you know, I, I would count like Dr. Drew is obviously like a celebrity, um, being able to do Thanksgiving with like him and Adam Carolla was obviously pretty cool. I didn't know anything about Adam before I met him. Um, right. and he, I just knew that he like smoked American spirits and I also smoked American spirits at that point. And I was like, Hey, this is great. <laughs> um, but, uh, God, like they're so commonplace. Uh, oh, one time I think I told one of the guys who played Spider-Man back in the day to F off. Um, and then I've also had like a handful of celebrities come on my podcast and all of them have been like so lovely. Um, just so lovely. Like there's no one really the, I can think off the top of my head. Oh God, I should probably have been better prepared for this question. Um, that's okay. I don't know. That's fine. Did I write? Totally and fine. did you ask that on the email that you sent?
0: Yeah. You said, um, I, I asked, Cross paths with celebrities or famous people you said so many don't know where to begin with this one literally all of them
1: it was one of those things where like (laughs) so there was this one actor like back in the day where i was like oh my god he's so good looking like i'm definitely gonna like meet him one day and like we're gonna have like a thing and it's gonna be great and then everyone was like, that's never going to happen. I was like, yeah, it's probably never going to happen. And then I downloaded an Instagram. He was literally the first person to slip in my DMs. And I was like, dude, what? We ended up dating on and off for like a couple of years. Nicest guy under the sun. Like, so lovely. Um, but yeah, I just like, I well, I lived in Venice Beach back when Venice was like the happening spot. Um, so that was cool. Um, and then I got to meet a lot through like friends as well. Cause like, it, it, you get it. Like, It's a very small world.
0: (laughs) Now, if you could go back in history, you'd like to meet the Druids. Mm -hmm. And you would also like to meet Mark uh, Mark Anthony. And just wondering why you picked those two.
1: So, okay. Here's the thing I should clarify. I wish that we had never left the cave, like as a species. Like I do not see the point in like 99% of what we've done as a species, but that's like a whole (laughs) other avenue. Um, the Druids, it's more just sort of like, Hey, my people, you know, like the Romans gave you such a bad rap guys. Like, I'd love to know what it's really all about. Um, you know <laughs> history is written by the winners and all that um, but Mark Anthony I was listening to a podcast years ago about Cleopatra and they told this story about how Mark Anthony used to get really drunk like he was just like a bit of a bro I guess one time <laughs> he had to like like give some speech or whatever uh, like I don't even I don't really I'm not a good I'm not good at history um, but he had to give some like huge speech and he stood up after like, and he'd been drinking the night before and he stood up too fast, I guess, before making the speech. And so he stands up like ready to go and then immediately just like vomits everywhere and then just carries on with what he's doing. <laughs> and I was like, that sounds like my kind of friend. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's that they don't, they don't put that story in the history book.
1: Yeah. I was just thinking, I'm just because i like the queen of the tactical sicky like for some reason the women in my family we boot and rally like like oh it's disgusting but I'm really good at it um and so yeah like when, after I heard that story I was like dude I'd love to meet that guy but like no most people from history I'm just like I don't know like maybe like Genghis Khan like I think that would be cool apparently that's the correct way to pronounce it according to my like angry Korean friends um oh wow I okay i know i just get in trouble if i huh. say it any other way but um all right
0: um what is currently in your amazon cart uh, or or something you've recently purchased you'd like to share with the class
1: oh good question let me um let me actually look i'm not a huge fan of jeff amazon so i tried not to like use his stuff too much um mm-hmm. let me see let me see Oh, I tried to buy a cactus growing kit for someone at Christmas, but it got really bad reviews. Do you know what I love? Oh, Dreamland, which I now have by uh, Sam Kunonez. And then The Least of Us, which I've also been given, so I didn't buy it. And then, dude, I have a thing where one of my friends who I think we both know, actually, um, likes to say that I dress like a commie. Like, I dress like a communist because I love wearing sweats. So I'll, I buy a lot of, like, matching sweats. Like, I had to stop.
0: What's wrong with sweats? Who says this? It's, it's, it's... Now I'm just curious. How How is communism and sweatpants, how, how are those connected? I have no
1: idea. But, no, Buck Sexton always says that I dress like a communist. <laughs> um, and, like, I used to have, like, a nose ring, which I've, like, subsequently, <laughs> like, stopped. Like, I just have a stud in there now. And he's always just like, why can't you wear like pretty girly clothes? And I'm like, I do. I just don't take pictures in pretty girly clothes because like I'm usually rushing to like leave and go outside so people can see me in them in real life. When I'm at home, I'm either in a robe or I'm in my sweats. And so I don't buy that many. I usually end up like just getting given them or like uh, I'll go There's like this, an amazing thrift shop around the corner from where I live. Um, I buy a lot of pairs of matching sweats from the thrift shop um, and then I have some saved on my Amazon <laughs> But I just I won't buy them because I don't like Jeff Amazon um, but Yeah Noted. Just Me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, very cool uh, is, Have we covered everything anything that we need to uh, touch on here that we haven't we've covered a lot of ground I kind
1: of want you to like answer all of the questions that you asked me I guess yeah. like that's one of my yeah, see- when are you coming on my show? like that's what uh, i know so you can talk about how much you hate country music uh, and camping and all the things i love
0: i'll come on your show sometime <laughs> we'll, we'll make it happen um i don't know uh but uh a lot of people have asked me when am i going to answer some of these questions i don't know well, I, I, someday we'll figure out a good venue for that and uh i'll do that but um i appreciate you making the time where can where are the places that people can find you online okay
1: uh, so just ksmythe.com. It's K-A-Y-S-M-Y-T-H-E. Blame my parents for that one. Eventually, I'll get married, and I won't have such a stupid name. Um, what? But, what uh, is so stupid?
0: I don't follow you.
1: I <laughs> hate my name. It's like the dumbest name ever. It sounds like a sneeze, like K-S-S-M-Y. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so... <laughs> Just Case my but you know the that good is... thing is just Case my If you Google me, you'll find me. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, oh. get a free space, freaking Patreon. But my Patreon is casemythe. Um, I did have a Facebook. I think mm. I still have one cuz I have to use one for the Daily Caller. You can find like my now, Hang on.
0: It is just one stop shopping casemythe.com. Got all of these links.
1: Yeah, just go casemythe.com. It's just so much Perfect. easier. Yeah.
0: Perfect. <laughs> so much easier all right case my thanks so much for making time for at the mic i really appreciate it dude.
1: thank you so much for having me and putting up with my wittering like i just i just can't appreciate you enough keith like i'm sure that you were like "Hey, it'll be fun it'll be great like it'll be chill no i stopped smoking pot a long time ago got a lot of words thank you
0: (laughs) hang on i'm looking up i'm looking up wittering i put up with your wittering i put up with what uh uh, your your (laughs)
1: so have you ever seen a cat Wait, see is... a bird through a window and they're like and they make that noise yeah that's wittering yeah i
0: used to have one like that yeah that's wittering oh is it really yeah. i never knew a word for it i just <laughs> called it i i think i just made the same sound you just did to describe it but i didn't know how to word okay very <laughs> yeah. good all right well Kay Smythe, thanks so much uh dot uh you have a great one thanks thank
1: you. thank you
0: it was great getting to talk with Kay, and i absolutely dig the accent I guess, I wonder if she ever gets used to our accent in this country. I guess I should have asked her that. I mean, that would have been a good question, uh, considering I just spoke with her for over an hour. I could have slipped that question. Anyway, if you listen to this podcast and you enjoy it, and I hope you do, I hope that you will tell others about it, and I hope that you will also rate and review it, please give it five stars, either at Apple iTunes or Spotify. Now, looking ahead to our next episode of At The Mic, we're going to sit down for a conversation with Shannon Bream from the Fox News channel. She has a story to tell for sure. As we learn about the personality you see on cable news, there's a lot more to Shannon than just bringing you current events. And that's next week's episode on At The Mic. Until then, feel free to drop us a note through the website at themicshow.com. And don't forget, merchandise is available through at atthemikeshop.com. Now, before you do anything, you know I'm going to ask you to please go be free. And thank you for listening. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Head to themicshow.com for archived episodes, sponsor information, and ways to connect.